Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the great pleasure of Timothy Clark. Uh, welcome, Tim. Oh, thanks very much, Julian. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's really good to have you on the show. I know we've already just had a, a quick chat before we got on air, uh, but it's uh, good, to, good to see you, good to chat to you. Uh, I'm just going to let the audience know a little bit about you, uh, and then we'll get right into having a conversation. Um, so you're the founder and CEO of Leader Factor. And Leader Factor is a training and consulting organization with offerings in manager workshops, consulting and executive services. Uh, You're also a multiple author. uh, And we're going to also be sharing a little bit about your latest book, which is The Four Stages of Psychological Safety. Uh, And today we will be exploring why psychological safety is vital for organizations to thrive. But before we get into that, uh, and it's out of my, I suppose, my coach mindset of being curious and interested is, um, Tim, what, what do you love about what you do? I think what I love the most, Julian, is that I have the opportunity to draw out people's potential and and help them in their discovery process. And so they they have breakthroughs. They have um, we shake loose some insights, and then they go act on that. And that to me is the highest form of compensation. I I I love the fact that I can just be a maybe a little small part of that, and 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 help them along and accelerate their development, help them see themselves a, a little bit differently than they do. Um, we we often hold ourselves back, and so. If we can draw out the potential of others, it's that's a beautiful thing. That's what I love the most, Julian. No, and it is it is it is a beautiful thing to unlock somebody's potential and to see somebody fly who perhaps previously weren't flying or think they couldn't fly. Yeah. Um, what what got you into that? When did you realize that was what you love doing? Ah. Uh, hmm. I think I, th- I think um, when when I got out of graduate school and um, I was going to take an academic route after I got out of Oxford and um, but I ended up going into business and becoming a line manager. Can you believe that? Uh, <laughs> and I think it was in business what matters what mattered to me the most wh- where I was drawn, where I really got my burn was just in working with people. So it's all about human capital. And I think I learned that experientially as a manager. And, and then um, that took me into the consulting and training field. And so I think it was, it was gradual, um, but I've always been drawn to the cultural side and the human side of organizations. No question. Mm-hmm. No question. Yeah. And obviously, the last 12, 18 months has been, uh, some would say it's been a, an interesting ex- experiment, uh, what has happened in terms of the pandemic and the impacts on businesses and organizations. Yeah. And um, 
we're obviously we're going to talk about psychological safety and i just want to get your thoughts on what do you think has been the impacts on impact of the pandemic on psychological safety in organizations right i think the main impact julian is that the the pandemic is a crisis but it's not a localized crisis it's a general global crisis and a crisis has uh, a unique ability to liquefy the status quo. And there's nothing that can do that like a crisis. So it has this ability. And so now we find ourselves in what we might call a, a, a liquid moment where we normally work in organizations that have a, a fossilized status quo. We become very rigid and entrenched in the way we do things. We become very calcified. And the what the pandemic has done is it's knocked us out of our equilibrium. It, it, it truly has liquefied the status quo. So it it's inflicted a lot of pain and suffering, but at the same time, it has given us this unique opportunity to accelerate transformation. And most of us live and work in organizations that need to change. But changing organizational culture is the single hardest thing to change. You can change everything else. It's relatively easy. You can change your systems and your process and your structure and your roles and responsibilities and your policies and procedures. That's not that hard. But to change the culture is a formidable challenge. It's the, it's the hardest thing to change. And so we have this unique opportunity probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to accelerate cultural transformation because the pandemic has liquefied our status quo. It, it has put us into this fluid state. And so now the question that we're all asking, hopefully everybody is asking is, where do we go? We, are we going to do things by design or by default, are we just going to let them happen? Mm. We know the post-pandemic world is going to be different, but how deliberate are you going to be in designing what it what it what it becomes, what it looks like? That's the opportunity that we have right now. Yeah, and I, I like that liquefying um, the sort of organization, as in you know going from that almost fossilized to liquefied. I, I think that's really what's happened. Um, and I think that's where it's, you know, the, almost that resilience of last year has then enabled people now to come properly, potentially, if they embrace it, uh, to become more agile, more flexible for this year. And so, so how do organizations then take last year, take the learnings, take the impact that they all had and that liquid state, so to speak, in their culture and turn that into a truly transformational or sustainable transformational um, cultural shift change that will help them grow as they go forward? Step one is, is to understand, well, it's, it's, these, it's the typical transformation journey. You go from current state, transition to future state. Step one is to is to clearly, as clearly as possible, to understand your current state and, and even go back and understand what the status quo was before the pandemic. Hmm. 
so there's two two ways to think about change. Sometimes you choose change, and sometimes change chooses you. And in this pandemic, change has chosen all of us. But as the pandemic winds down, we now have the opportunity to be in charge of that change. Mm. And so the so how do you do that? You you've got to you've got to understand where you are, and then you've got to create a portrait of the future, the vision, mm. which uh, is the opportunity. But you've got to define that, and then move intentionally towards that. And as we know, with with culture with with culture formation. We know this based on on the study of organizational culture. With culture formation, the single most important factor is the modeling behavior of the leaders Mm -hmm. because they set the tone. They, for the most part, establish the prevailing norms in an organization. So now is the time to say, where were we? Where are we? We're still in a fluid state. But now where do we want to go and why? And Mm -hmm. we really need to think through that carefully because we have this opportunity to do culture by design. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, if you want to change the culture, it's going to be a a long, hard slog and you're going to chip away and it's going to be this incremental change. Well, now you have this opportunity that's unique. You can accelerate that. And so I, su- I, I suggest to organizations that they be that, that they go through this exercise. Where are we? Where do we need to go? We are already in transition. We know that. But where do we want to land mm-hmm. and why? Because the, the pandemic has taught us some very interesting things. It has exposed our vulnerability as individuals in in a in a way that we've never seen before. Um, it's stripped away a lot of the, uh, the 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 masks and the and the coverings that we've used, and whether we like it or not, we've been exposed to to just a higher level of vulnerability. And so, where do we go? And a lot of people have felt isolated. Mm-hmm. and marginalized and lonely and disconnected. And yet at the same time, Julian, what's interesting and ironic is that in some organizations, and I've heard this from several people, they feel more connected now than they've ever felt in the past, and they're in a virtual environment. So how does that work? <laughs> and, and yet uh, several people have said that to me. They haven't yeah, and, I, and I've I've noticed actually it's interesting how in some organizations I've worked with where some people have actually just stepped up and shone that they've never before would have done. And and the virtual environment has somehow created this space. And I don't know if it's down to the sense of a crisis or the change or they're just playing to their strengths, but there's a multitude of reasons how people have just seemed to have of Sean and thinking, wow, I never knew that person could be so interactive and create some sort of dynamicness within a virtual context yeah. and leading really well. And others, I've noticed leaders who were 
very good in the office, very good at, at interacting, have almost shied away and been completely quiet and silent. And it's that impact of, of the change is, affects us all different ways, doesn't it, in terms of trying to handle that. Yeah, it does. We've, we've all been stress tested in different ways, and we've probably all been surprised by our own responses in some cases. So I, th I think we have this incredible opportunity to learn and transform right now. Mm. And you mentioned a vulnerability there, and I think we've all been incredibly vulnerable in this last sort of um, 12 months or so. And we know that, and I, and I, and I like your definition of, of psychological safety. It says an environment of rewarded vulnerability. And to me, it's just a wonderful de definition. I, I've never heard it so well. Um, so, and, I, and I got that off your, off your website. And first, of all, I'd like you to expand upon that. But also, by virtue of vulnerabilities increased, has psychologically safety increased or has it decreased? Or what's, what's happened to it in the last 12 months? Ah, right. So, so let's go back to that definition, Julian. So what we're saying is that psychological safety is an environment of rewarded vulnerability. What is vulnerability? It's exposure to the potential for loss or harm. And what we're saying is that you have to create an environment of rewarded vulnerability. Your vulnerability will be rewarded or punished. It, it It's not it's not a neutral situation. One of those two things is going to happen. Well, why is that so important? Because rewarded vulnerability is a crucial enabling condition that allows us to perform. Organizations cannot perform, nor can people be themselves if their vulnerability is not rewarded. You can't be yourself. You can't learn. You can't contribute. You can't challenge the status quo. You can't innovate without rewarded vulnerability. It's this all-important enabling condition. And therefore, organizations that reward vulnerability have a distinct advantage. And that is also a place where people want to work. They want to be part of cultures and environments that reward vulnerability because it's it's so crucial for performance. It's so crucial for for them uh, reaching their potential. So so that's what it is, and that's why it matters so much. The research, the empirical research, now it it has finally caught up with our intuition, and we understand this much better. And so most of us have felt increased vulnerability during the pandemic, here's the next question. Do you think your vulnerability has been rewarded or punished? Maybe a combination of the two, but you may want to reflect on that, right? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting, actually. Um, and I guess this, this rewarded vulnerability, and it's like that, I think, is it, is it Brené Brown talks about courage, about stepping into the arena you know without that sense of success or failure or knowing success or failure um and that's that true vulnerability you know being willing to to step in there and i remember talking to a lot of leaders last year when this all happened and you know someone saying i don't know what to do and i say it's okay 
to know don't not know what to do even tell people you don't know because we've never been here before <laughs> you are navigating completely uncertain times and it's okay to say i don't know this is how we're going to do it and i think some leaders struggled with that vulnerability and and some it it worked and started to help them grow as individuals and in fact by demonstrating you alluded to before uh, you know that role modeling you know based on the sort of bandora principle where you uh, the, the power of role modeling, people seeing you showing vulnerability. It's almost like a, I almost say, say to a lot of leaders, you almost create the, 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 the ceiling by your own vulnerability as a leader. If you only go, say, 50, potentially that's all you're creating. If you go to 100, you're creating even more. And I think uh, that's really important as leaders to be aware of uh, our own vulnerability and making sure we are role modeling in that sense. So, Taking that step further, how do organizations then take this moment that's happened, this liquid state, and start to create that psychological safety and start to embrace it? And and I guess also, how does that happen? I'm asking multiple questions here to you, which, which I hope you hopefully decide for what you feel is appropriate. Yeah, um, sure. but, but also in the remote sense, the remote world, and the hybrid world, because it's gotten, starting to get a little bit messy now, isn't it, in terms of how this unlocking and everything else going back to some sort of normality. Right. Well, let's go back to what you said before, Julian. There's a misconception on the part of many leaders that they, they can't be vulnerable. They should not show vulnerability. That's absolute nonsense. Where did that come from? It comes from the imperial theory of leadership. The, 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 the idea that the leader is oracle and that the leader is the repository of all answers. It's complete rubbish. And particularly, how do you intend to lead a team or an organization in the decade of the 2020s? Let's just begin with contextual understanding. What is the context? The context is that you're in a dynamic environment. No one, most of all you as the leader, you don't have institutional knowledge about how to handle the challenges that we're facing now and that we're going to face tomorrow. No one in the institution has that institutional knowledge to say, oh, let me tell you how we handle that. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Hmm. So we, we are in an environment, a highly dynamic, hyper-competitive unforgiving environment. How do you lead a team in that environment? You lead a team by learning together. And that means that you have to model vulnerability in the learning process yourself. That's number one. Number two, you need to invite others to do it. And number three, you need to protect them when they do. And so you need to engage because what do people do when, when we interact, we are always engaging in threat detection and we're always trying to answer the, the question, it, will my acts of vulnerability be rewarded or punished? So I'm looking around, I'm observing, I'm watching, what are other people doing? Are there acts of vulnerability being rewarded or punished? These are common everyday acts of vulnerability, such as what if I ask a question? If I make a comment, what if I say I don't know? 
Uh, what if I just show up? These are all acts of vulnerability, let alone challenge the status quo. Mm. So as a leader, you, you will lead based on your learning disposition and habits and the terms of engagement that you establish with your people. Let, let me take one simple example. What happens if in public you ask for help from someone of lower status? Brilliant. It sends a very clear signal mm-hmm. that you're bringing humility to the task. You're setting aside your ego defense mechanisms, your pride of authorship. And you're here in good faith to help the team. That is not lost on anyone. In fact, that's a very powerful signal that says, wow, okay. I guess collaboration is real. I guess, um, and maybe I have a license to disagree and challenge. That's fantastic. And by the way, thank you for exposing your vulnerability and being human because we already knew you were human, but thank you for acknowledging it. That's really refreshing. So I think there's a lot, Julian, that I think the leaders have to, to hit the refresh button and ask themselves, how am I leading, engaging, and interacting with my team? How am I doing that? And get rid of the hubris mm. and the arrogance and that antique imperial model, because that's that 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 model is obsolete in this new decade. And what would you say to a leader who? you know, wants to lead this way, wants to create this sense of um, uh, modeling uh, of approach of vulnerability and to to really sort of win his team over and also create an environment where people will step up and go for those risks and innovate and ask the questions and challenge in a a, sort of safe environment. And that the organization as a whole or the culture of the organization is a little bit more less that way perhaps it's more toxic yeah um and you're a, a microcosm of a small team um what would, be, what would be your advice but also can that really work um the reason i ask this i've been in organizations where the actual most of the organization is quite toxic but there's been pockets yeah. of teams that have been sort of i would call safe <laughs> sounds right. strange so i guess what, what are your thoughts on that if you're if you're talking to a leader who's in that sort of position <laughs> Right. I would say create the pocket, create an enclave of psychological safety. Even if you're with, even if you're in a larger environment that is toxic, because the most profound and important expression of culture is what we call a microculture, and and that exists at the level of a team, because the team is the basic unit of performance in most organizations. And so, even if you're surrounded by toxicity. If you create psychological safety on your team and try to buffer your team from the toxic influence, you can still achieve a lot. Mm. Even if those outside of your team are toxic and they are dangerous, if you can create that enclave 
and a buffer to protect the team as much as you can, isn't that what you should do anyway? Isn't that your stewardship? I mean, what else are you going to do? Uh, well, the other alternative is to adopt, and it's interesting that you asked the question, Julian, because the other alternative, which is a very realistic alternative, is to adopt the cult, those toxic norms mm. and perpetuate those toxic norms, which amazingly a lot of very good people do. For example, take, a, take an organization that has a put-down culture. So we put each other down, and it becomes this prevailing norm in the organization. Well, I've seen this over and over again where really good, well-intentioned, benevolent people, they actually adopt that norm e even though it's, it's toxic and it's wrong, but they do it because um, they want to – they want to be successful in that organization. And so they're unwilling to demonstrate to demonstrate the courage to go against it. So that's always an option. But to me, I mean, that's a cop-out, right? You, is, there you, another, is there another option of how do you challenge that status quo? How do you challenge that toxic culture then? Is it by your own design of your own team or is there other ways of challenging it? Well, your, I think, superior, your superiors are toxic in that sense. Right. I think you got to worry about building your own credibility first. And you have to have a track record. Otherwise, people won't take you very seriously. So I would get about the business of building that healthy, vibrant, mm. psychologically safe team first. And then you're going to assess the nature of the toxic culture, because when we have a toxic culture, we see one of two patterns or maybe sometimes a combination uh, you'll see leaders that are actively toxic, meaning they actively participate in toxic behaviors, or we see leaders who are passively complicit and they allow others mm -hmm. to engage in toxic behaviors without consequence. So you'll see those two patterns when you encounter a toxic culture. And if it's if it's um, if they're passively compliant, then oftentimes those people are coachable. And so I think you can do a lot to challenge the status quo and and mm. try to influence those people. If leadership, if they if if they're demonstrating actively toxic behaviors, normally they're less they're less coachable and they need to be removed. But if you're of lower status, that's not going to be something that you can do. But but I would say establish a beachhead wherever you are. Uh, build your credibility by creating an enclave of psychological safety. And then from there, see what you can do to influence beyond your team. Okay. That's good. I like that. And and, and as, as things start to uh, unlock uh, all around the world in terms of lockdowns and, and people start going back to work and start to create more of a hybrid environment, whatever that may be, yeah. uh, what are your th just your final thoughts on if you were talking to a leader now in terms of advice going forward, how they should play it out for this next sort of season of um, of their business? 
Well, again, I go back to what I said before, and that is they have an unpre- and, and, and I know it's cliche, but they have an unprecedented opportunity to hit to 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 reestablish by design the 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 norms of the organization. And and this opportunity may never come again. And so they need to seize that opportunity, that opportunity that is within the calamity of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it begins with them. So here's what we know in the study of organizational culture. Uh, and I think I alluded to it before. The single most important factor is the modeling behavior of the leaders in cultural formation. Mm-hmm. So the leader either leads the way or gets in the way. The leader cannot be neutral. There's no such thing. You cannot be a neutral party. Mm. You are radiating influence to the other members of the team, particularly if you're the leader, you also have positional power. So you have scalable impact now. You, you're, either, you're, you're either leading the way or getting in the way. You're radiating influence. There's no off switch. You are modeling and reinforcing certain behavioral norms. The only question is, which ones are they? Are they one? Are they norms that nurture and cultivate psychological safety or not? That's the only question. Hmm. And as we and, and as we also know, psychological safety is delicate. It's dynamic. It's perishable. The job is never done. Mm. Um, so I think, and, and Julie and I, you, you probably see the same thing. I, I see leaders who are more reflective and more introspective than ever before mm. on themselves and also on their organizations. And they really are trying to conduct a fearless searching inventory. And they're asking themselves, where, where, where do we need to go from here? Hmm. And we're in, in many cases, we are seeing accelerated transformation that's actually quite exciting. We're yeah. seeing some incredible things happening right now. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think it's a lot of organization has created a bit of a, a reset and that opportunity to really transform as opposed to just slightly growing their people and their, or their, their business. Uh, and I think this year we'll see a lot of transformational um, happenings within organizations uh, like yourself. I'm seeing it in organizations already uh, and seeing cultures just dynamically change um, and people are just just up for it. I think from last year, some and the way it's been handled uh, in certain organizations are really wanting to sort of embrace it. So that's brilliant. Um, thank you for your uh, valuable insights today, Tim. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, It'd be great for people to know how they can get hold of you um, and also your book as well, where where they can get hold of that as well. Uh, so I'll let you share how people can to get in touch with you. Oh, sure. Well, uh, our, our website is leaderfactor.com or you can, you can find me on LinkedIn at Timothy R. Clark. And then uh, the four stages of psychological safety is, is available at all, all major booksellers. Um, so we, we, we welcome you and uh, would love to hear from you. Yeah, and thanks very much, Julian. No, thank you for your time. Appreciate it.
If you like this episode, then please do subscribe, do share with your friends, and do check out other episodes in the series. If you're looking for support and help in your organization to create a resilient culture, then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.